I was. Um, I think Terry Bunch was scheduled to do this. Terry's had some back trouble. He he really wanted to be here, even up to last week. Uh, I asked him. I said, "You sure you don't want to do this?" And he said, "Well, I'm just afraid I can't." But I appreciate the opportunity to speak at a church that I attended for 51 years. Not I attended. Uh, I didn't necessarily worship here when I was a baby, but. Not counting on the six years that I was back and forth from college. I've seen a, a copy of the church paper. I have a copy of the church paper called the Hornwall Messenger, where my birth was announced to James and Theo Adcox on May the 11th, 1948. Someone related to me, and I kind of think about this a lot, especially as I get older, that life was like a football or basketball game with four quarters. Each of those quarters had 20 years each. So I'm 73, which means I'm well into the fourth quarter. And they went on to tell me, if you're over 80, you're in overtime. (laughs) And uh, you are truly blessed to be here today. Anything um, all of you know, as people get older, maybe your grandparents or people you know, as they get older, they like to tell stories and share memories. And ever since Rick called me, my mind has just been flooded with memories of the Hornwall Church. And if you'll indulge me, I'm going to try to do it in about five minutes. I want to share some of those memories with you. I am blessed with a great Christian heritage that means that it was passed on to me by my family, and including reputation. My great-grandfather was Horace Newton Mann. For those of you that don't know any of this, it'll be a little history lesson, I guess. Um, He was the minister of the Riverside Church of Christ for many years. A few years ago, several years ago, all of you, I don't know if you remember Hassel Kelly. Hassel Kelly came to my, my office one day and said, David, I just wanted to come tell you, this was several years before he died, I want to tell you something about your great-grandfather. I grew up at Topsy Baptist Church, which is south of the Riverside Church in Wayne County. And he said, when people didn't, uh, when our preacher didn't show up because of weather, a lot of times they had circuit preachers, we'd call Brother Mann and he would come, he would preach at Riverside, then he would come to Topsy Baptist and preach. And on several occasions, He preached three sermons in one Sunday because he would fill in for the circuit preacher at Buffalo Valley Methodist, which was about a a half a mile from the Riverside Church. My grandfather and grandmother Adcox sat right over there about where uh, Charter is. Uh, That was H.N. Mann's uh, daughter. And her sister, Theo, sat right down the aisle from her. I can visualize them there now. And he was an elder of this church for many years. My grandfather and grandmother Lester were devout Baptists. And my grandmother used to live in the upstairs apartment across the street where the Board of Education now owns. And on Saturday night when I'd spend the night, when we weren't watching wrestling, she was getting her Sunday school lesson and had her Bible open there in her rocking chair. My mom and dad um, took us to church every time the doors were open. Uh, and dad was a deacon. I met Connie and her parents were devout Methodists, her parents and her grandparents. I grew up in Sunday school where we never missed Teachers like Elizabeth Collier and Francis Hickerson and Estelle Harwood loved me and taught me the Bible. 
Joe Cook Van Dyke and Gene Durham took special interest in the youth group, and especially as us as young men, is that we would meet with them and they would help us prepare sermons, which we would go out and pretty much read uh, those sermons to a lot of the rural congregations who didn't have a preacher, like Sweetwater and others. We would also lead singing for them. And Gene Durham taught special classes on song leading for us and, all, and taught us to always teach to how to beat 4-4 four, four time and 3-4 time and always come down on the bar. I always had to come down on the bar. I remember our teenage quartet, Three Nuts and a Hull. There's one of them back there. Um, made up of Johnny Poor, Danny Milam, myself, and of course the hull was Don. Uh, we would sing for our parents' friends who had their own special version of small groups back then because they would meet in each other's homes after church on Sunday night. I remember Cotty's prayer meeting, which we, when B.B. James was here, we met in people's homes on Thursday night, so that means we met four times a week back then. I remember one meeting in particular when I was a young teenager, I was asked to stand up and quote the 12 tribes of Jacob in the home of Earl Hickerson. I don't know why I remember that. Um, I remember where I was sitting or standing when I stepped out on the last verse of the last song of the last night of B.B. James' gospel meeting and came forward to be baptized. My sister Jane was also baptized by B.B. James. I remember our youth group singing in the homes of shut-ins where we would crowd into that room, surround the person, and there would be also a stove in the room. And it'd be about 85 degrees in there and sweat would be rolling down our face as we sang songs and performed a little devotional for them. (laughs) Then I was off to college. And I told my mom and dad I could not go to Freed Hardeman or Lipscomb like the rest of my family because I wanted to be an engineer. And I couldn't major in engineering at either school. Well, my younger brother Jimmy started preaching at a young age while I was gone. Jim heard I was dating a girl that I met at a dance at Tennessee Tech and that she was a Methodist. I came home to find two tracks on my bed, one on dancing and one on mixed marriages. Jimmy has gone on to be the minister of the Southwest Church of Christ in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I think he's in his 47th year. Connie and I were married at Tennessee Tech and returned to Hornwall in 1972. This became our church home and we met great friends for life. A special time when church experience was about connections and relationships. Our children grew up riding church buses all over Hornwall, which meant an extra hour uh, before and after church three times a week. Every Saturday morning we'd meet together and we'd go out and knock on doors and recruit bus riders. Uh, We had five buses at one time and every bus brought in at least 50 on more than one occasion. Lloyd Cottrell, I think, and Nita were the first bus captains to hit 50. And then we had a 50 club. The north wing of this building had to be built on to hold all of us. I never forget, is Madeline here? I don't see Madeline, but Madeline was, I was a bus cap. Madeline was my bus secretary, and she never missed. I mean, every time the bus rolled, uh, Madeline was there. 
teaching, and we were teaching and singing the whole time, from the time the first child got on till they got off. Children's worship on Sunday night, we had to build a building for it. We got up to over 150 kids across the street on Sunday nights. Our puppet ministry taught the kids about Jesus and Bible stories, with Big Mike and Sissy being the favorite puppets. I remember week-long gospel meetings when we met in the morning. Can you imagine getting your young people up for a 7 a.m. worship service? And every night for a week. I remember Willie Franklin preaching a gospel meeting where we packed both of these auditoriums with people from all over the community. I think we had over 600 one night. I remember Miles, my son, and some of his friends discovered that you could pinch off parts of a a plastic fishing worm, throw it up, and they would stick to the ceiling in in this side auditorium. And so we looked up and it was covered with little pieces of plastic fishing worm. I remember a gospel meeting and a sermon by Ronnie Norman that changed my prayer life forever where he urged us to pray bold prayers and to keep a prayer journal, which I still do to this day. The pie ministry where we took pies to visitors on Monday nights. At the the time, I remember also I took Chris, who was a teenager at the time, and it looked so good he asked the recipient if he could have a piece. Some of you remember that. Wow, what, uh, what great memories. What great memories. Was church always perfect during those years? No. We all know that church can be challenging and messy sometimes. Sometimes people get upset about various doctrinal issues. People have different opinions. People get their feelings hurt or get mad at other members. Some members leave. But I wouldn't take anything for the 51 years as a member of this church. My family made friends for life who have encouraged me and our family on our Christian journey. We were shown love, compassion, acceptance, and grace. I was mentored by great men of faith like Cordell Hull and Clarence Edwards, King McCarver, Steve Reeves, and Bruce McIntyre. I served as an elder with great men of faith like Lloyd Cottrell, Terry Bunch, Rick Jones, Terry Carroll, Ronnie Riley, Daryl Ed Henson, and Bobby Page. Today, I want to talk a little bit about where the church is today. And I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about all Christian churches. Over the last decade or two, church attendance has been declining. Then the pandemic came in early 2020, And because of that, church attendance probably hit an all-time low as we were unable to meet. That brought on many things like virtual worship uh, and online worship. And even church people got out of the habit of attending church. I, I was in the middle of reading and listening to a book by Andy Stanley called Irresistible when Rick called me. So that was very, that's been very much on my mind the last two months, and I wanted to share some thoughts of that with you this morning. Andy Stanley, in this book, basically tries to answer two questions. Why could a movement so irresistible in the first century, that being the church, become so resistible in the 21st century? And is it possible for us to reclaim whatever that made that 
reclaim that spirit-infused energy and growth the New Testament church had. And he talks about three difference makers for the New Testament church that we would do well to refocus on today. Number one is the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the resurrection changed everything for the church. It emboldened a group of scared and um, confused disciples to become powerful messengers of the, of the good news. It uh, inspired every sermon in the book of Acts, informed every letter in the New Testament, and became the linchpin of the Christian faith. Without it, there is no Christian faith. Secondly was the New Covenant. It was established by Jesus through His death on the cross, and it fulfilled and completed and made the Old Testament obsolete. There's a difference between the Old and New, and Christians are followers of the New Covenant. So the Bible is equally inspired, but not equally applicable or binding. Three, the new command to love others. This was the way that Christ loved us. This is the supreme command, the summary, the royal law, as it's often called, the key verse. It should inform everything we say and do. It is very clear and simple to understand, but equally difficult to apply which is why we need Jesus. If we're going to become irresistible again and reclaim the new that Jesus unleashed upon the world, we're going to have to talk more about the resurrection of Jesus and the promises of Jesus in the new covenant about love and the teaching of Jesus. Basically, we're going to have to focus on Jesus and not all the other stuff that the church has often become known for. Stanley says, How much of our time have we spent in pointless debates and theological controversies, arguing over politics, fighting the culture wars, debating worship styles, directing the finer points of doctrine, or policing the morality of others with book, chapter, verse, legalism, or battling other religions or isms? Can we just focus on Jesus and the resurrection? Can we just focus on the love that Jesus promises and the better life that He promises? In other words, can we just calm down and love others? And I don't know how many of you have seen the t-shirts, calm uh, calm down and, and carry on. What if we could just calm down and love others? If we lifted Jesus above, above, up above all higher than all our disagreements and opinions. If we made love the primary ethic of the New Testament church. And here's why it's important. Well, first of all, Jesus commanded it. But secondly, we're losing a generation. We live in a time, as some people call, the rise of the nuns. And for several decades, this has been growing. And that's the increasing uh, number of people who, when asked to check their religious affiliation, check none of the above. I could share all the statistics with you, but I don't need to do that. All you need to know is millennials are walking away from the faith in which they grew up in, in record numbers. And that's a direct quote from the Pew Research Study. But you don't need a quote or a statistic to tell you that. Chances are you're related to one or two. Chances are you know one or two. Chances are you took one to church camp. 
Chances are you gave one their first Bible. Chances are you baptized them. Perhaps you know their parent. Or perhaps you are a parent. And it's why this quote from, from the book I think is spot on and reminds me of something Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If we're going to reach unchurched, underchurched, dechurched, and post-church folks with the new covenant, new command message of Jesus in a culture that's trending post-Christian, we must rethink our approach. Paul said it this way, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. And I think the gospel depends on it and is at stake. If we're going to reach a post-Christian society, we have to rethink our approach. We can't keep doing the same things and expecting different results. As society became less and less Christian several years ago, many churches started thought that blinking lights and fog machines and entertaining them would get them back, but it didn't. You see, they're not interested. We need an approach which is really not that new at all. We just lost sight of it somewhere along the way. We confused it and we complicated it. The the eternal truths of the Christian faith are unchanged. We just need to think through how we communicate to a new generation and in a different culture. If I even went back 30 or 40 years ago in another different culture, I I think I would use a different approach in how I discussed faith when I met Connie or how I taught my children about faith or how I taught my children about Jesus. The reason post-church people find today's church perfectly resistible is they aren't church people. They used to be. Some of their family probably still is. But it's not anything they think about anymore. They could be... uh, They could live next to the greatest church in the world, but they would never think about attending because it's just something they don't do anymore. Maybe the legalism got to them. Maybe they were treated unlovingly by some church. Or maybe they grew tired of the unloving rhetoric. I want to read this paragraph that comes from the book. In our post-Christian culture, making better churches or more relevant churches or more sound churches or more theologically educated churches isn't the answer. The answer is a return to the resurrection-centered new covenant, love one another version of faith that we read about. The version of faith that got this whole church thing kicked off to start with. Unchurched people may not be interested in church, but they certainly want to be treated well and loved, especially when things aren't going well. Post-Christians are still interested in matters of faith and spirituality. And this is big. They still like Jesus. They still find His life and teachings inspiring, especially His message of love. There are two passages I want to conclude with today, both of which are written by Paul. And we we know about Paul, don't we? We know about Paul's background. He he was a strong... uh, Jewish of Jewish faith and a devout follower of the old covenant. 
He was arrogant. He was self-centered. He was selfish until he met the resurrected Jesus and learned about His message of love. Then he started writing stuff like I'm going to read to you here in just a minute. And I want you to let these words sink in, if you will. As Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4-11, through 11, Paul's going to recall a little bit of his past and then talk about the new and better way. So beginning somewhere around verse uh, 4 in chapter 3, and listen to Paul talk about his past a little bit. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to, was to my profit, I now count, consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. One, one version says garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. And then I want, I want to read a chapter that's uh, very familiar to all of you. Uh, you probably grew up hearing this chapter. You probably memorized it at some point in your life. But it was written by Paul and it wasn't written for a wedding ceremony. It was written to the church. So I want you to, with fresh ears this morning to listen to these verses that you've heard many, many times and think about the message Paul is sending to the church especially after considering how he's been transformed from law to love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I... I, I was talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see through a, a see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, 
faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's it. Jesus, resurrection, a righteousness that comes not from obedience to the law, but that faith in Jesus alone. And a maturity that comes through love. If we want to become irresistible again, we'll do well to follow these things. A generation of we're just not church people anymore depends on it. Today, we have an opportunity, but they provide this opportunity for you to respond to the gospel of Christ. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in His resurrection, you want to be a follower of Jesus and you want to be buried with Him in baptism, to walk in newness of life, you have that opportunity today. You can do it this morning or you can talk to Greg or any of the elders at any time and I know they'd love to talk to you about that. So let's stand and sing.